Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 263 with Scott Gerber. I think you'll enjoy hearing from Scott because he has some perspectives on this thing called networking, relationship building, and how to be a super connector in a way that doesn't feel gross or creepy or weird or icky in any sort of a way. So you'll learn one, how to become a conversational Sherlock Holmes, two, the questions that spark great conversations, and three, how to introduce yourself with impact. So if you'd like to check out the show notes, the transcript, or the links to items that we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep263. Now here's Scott's story. Scott Gerber is founder and CEO of Community Co. and founder of YEC and Forbes Councils. He is an industry leader in building and managing personalized invitation-only communities for world-class executives, entrepreneurs, and professionals. Scott is an expert on youth entrepreneurship, community building, and youth unemployment in America, recent college grad, unemployment, and small business. So thanks to Scott for taking some time to hang out with us, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Scott. Scott, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's going to be a lot of fun, Pete. Oh, I think so too. Well, I was intrigued when you filled out the form to get this conversation going. You described yourself as a big family man, and I, I just had my first child born uh, mere weeks ago. So I'm very interested to hear. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So I'm interested to hear all about that from you today. Well, absolutely. It's funny. People look at me, I'm a 34-year-old living in New York City, three-bedroom apartment with four children, a wife and a dog. Uh, so, And we're as in it as it gets because they're ages seven, five, about to be three, and eight months. So we're not sleeping. We're dealing with uh, multiple levels of personalities at all different ages. But as I tell all my professional and business friends, what's the point of doing what you're doing if you don't enjoy actually building a life? And so having these amazing unbelievably different kids, interested in so many different things, uh, a very loving wife who is a wonderful mother, but also someone that we share our passion for really just not just being present, like in the physical space of our children, but present with our children and growing and learning together. You know, those are the kinds of things that make working so hard actually worth it. So that that's what we're all about. There is no such thing as work-life balance by any means, but I think there's something to be said about working so you can have a life. All right. Very good. And tell me any pro tips on managing low sleep. Oh, well, I am the first one to say, I believe I truly have the best individual piece of advice from one parent to another. Are you ready for this? I'm so ready. The best piece of advice from one parent to another is don't listen to advice from any other parent. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Got it. All right. Well, then I'll I'll stop asking you about parenting matters and (laughs) completely shift gears to your book. So Super Connector, what's it all about and and why is this important for the world to learn about right now? Yeah. So Super Connector, stop networking and start building business relationships that matter. My partner and I wrote it really with one core idea, and that is people as a you know, a society at this point are really falling into this lazy, out-for-yourself, transactional mindset of networking more and more. And as the world gets noisier and as social platforms become even more ubiquitous, you need to actually be a human 
that builds relationships and not a technology that amplifies non-human practices. You need to go back to being human to build human relationships. And so we've spent, you know, the better part of a decade building a number of very engaged professional communities in YEC, Forbes councils, others for ourselves, for other brands and companies to learn the ways in which you can actually build these meaningful relationships from the ground up and not have these tips and tricks and you know hacks and growth hacking and conversion strategies, but rather just going back to saying, I want to build smart ways to communicate with people and smart groups of people to surround myself with, because that makes life better. And when you're valuable to other people, they can also be valuable to you. But that doesn't mean you have to go into every relationship you ever build looking for value. So, so that's why we wrote the book, you know, taking all these best practices and frameworks really to help people learn the mindset of a connector from our insights and from the top super connectors around the world in various industries. So they stop doing these really stupid and terrible inhuman networking practices that we all love to hate. Inhuman networking practices and processes. Okay. So maybe could you sort of really lay out that contrast crystal clear for me here? So uh, could you share with me, here is an inhuman networking process. <laughs> yep. Instead, yep. do this. Well, here's something I think we can all relate to here. Everybody has been subjected to a networker, right? It's the person that walks up to you, shaking your hand with the right hand, having the business card in the left hand, talking at you about themselves while looking over your shoulder at the next person they should try to meet, right? The person that's not investing real time, that's trying to get the stack of business cards, that's not really listening and only guiding and taking on the conversation for their own personal gain. And that in 30 seconds, instead of thinking about how do I figure out where value can be created for you, the person I'm talking to, they're thinking about, is this person going to be relevant to my individual goal or need or revenue metric or whatever KPI you've decided on that day is valuable for your time instead of the more practical way to do it, which is just to have a framework of the kinds of people you want to surround yourself with and dedicate meaningful, smart, context-rich time and conversation to over not one year or one month or any definitive amount of time, but over a lifetime, build a tribe around you of people that would be there for you in an instant and you'd do the same. I think it's a different mindset to look at surrounding yourself with great people that you can create mutual value and exchange and knowledge share than just trying to have this really, quote unquote, focused way of looking at someone as dollar signs or a stepping stool. And so that's the difference, but I think between the two categories, it's not semantics. It is a fundamental difference of belief in how you view the point of a business relationship. Okay, certainly. Well, so that sounds appealing to have be surrounded by people that you think are, are fantastic and there's a, a mutual sharing of, of goodness uh, over the course of a lifetime. So practice, how is that done? How does one become a, a super connector? What are some of the the habits and practices and beliefs that they roll with? Yeah, I think first and foremost, you have to learn how to have a real conversation. I think a lot of people suck at conversations, right? They have an issue leading them or they have an issue being a part of them because your instinct is always to go to the lowest common denominator, lowest hanging fruit, like, oh, the weather's nice today. Small talk, right? Things that are inconsequential, that don't really extract any new learnings or knowledge. And so first and foremost, you have to understand what is the point of a conversation. And I know that sounds like remedial. I'm sure someone right now listening to this is, oh, my God, great, Scott, you know, how to talk. Well, how, that's obvious. Like, this is so stupid. Why are you wasting my time? Yet 
they don't do it. <laughs> right? So first it's, what is the point of good context? Well, any conversation that allows you to extract context means that you're creating sort of a treasure trove, if you will, of great insights and data to really learn about someone and not just the surface level LinkedIn, Facebook type stuff, but things such as what the goals of an individual are or what they're working on right now. That way you can learn about what they're working on, what is success and what is failure to them. What's the timeline by which they're looking to do these things? That kind of information that you can play an active role in, right? So great context. Great context comes from good questions. So in order to know what a good question is, we first have to ask, what is a bad question, right? right. And a bad question is, I, I love this one. Are you ready for it? It's, how can I help you? Don't you love that question? That question is horrible. It's one of the worst questions ever created. And it's become a social script marketing tactic for most people. Why is it suck? One, it puts the onus on the other person that in some cases you've just met with a homework assignment or to come up with a good answer or they're going to feel stupid. All right. Number two, it's not founded in any kind of specificity. It's incredibly broad. Number three, if you've had a conversation with them, the logical answer should be, don't you know how to help me if I've given you all the pieces to the puzzle? Shouldn't you be able to put the last one in? to complete the puzzle and tell me the help I need. So it's not specific. Whereas a question like, hmm, what are you working on right now? As I just mentioned, much more specific, comes with a timeline, comes with something that they're passionate about and excited about because it's right now and it's meaningful to them. Comes with a series of naturally next step curious follow-ups. Well, what does that mean? Or can you tell me more about that? Or what made you think that this is important to do right now? Or what's the steps to success? Again, things that you can help them help you to help them. And then finally, again, it's about putting together the pieces of the puzzle, the context, to figure out who in my world or what resource do I have that might be able to fill the void. So maybe you've heard a series of things that it's like, oh, well, I know this guy, John, and this woman, Sally, that have expertise in XYZ. Would that be helpful to you if I can see if they're interested in having a conversation on that? Again, you've given actual next steps Versus, again, a, a wall, like a yes or a no, or some sort of question that leads to a phrase that goes nowhere. These are the kinds of ways to have that conversation. Okay, excellent. So you're taking that proactive initiative to say, I've done the work. <laughs> I've done the work for you. Instead of asking, how can I help you? You have done the digging to discover a few valid potential suggestions and then brought up the specific idea, and then they can sort of approve or, or veto or, or defer you know, a, as necessary. Correct. It's almost like you're the Sherlock Holmes of discourse, right? Because look, if they love the suggestion, you've created a bond. Like the person knows you're really listening. You really care. Even if it's not the exact right fit, wow, like that, I appreciate the fact that you're actually making a proactive suggestion. It's very rare people do that. And that's why it really does stand out. Number two, if they say, oh, that's a little off base, what does it do? It gives you the opportunity to ask more questions of, well, why do you think it's off base? And oh, what part is off that I can maybe tweak in my framework that I'm thinking of in my head? So it, again, it, it naturally lends itself to a hypothesis. And then either is the hypothesis true or false or incomplete. So, you know, you never want to end up with a wall like the weather is nice, isn't it? Yes. Okay, great. Now what? Right. But that's why these continuous conversations where you're leading and not being about me or trying to talk about you all the time, like that's where ultimately the difference is made in showing you care, not just telling. And I think that is where ultimately people leave a conversation and know that if they see you again, they will remember it more times than not 
that you were actually a thoughtful individual, that you actually did express interest and try to do your best, even if it didn't exactly work out, and if it did even better, because you care. How many people can say that? Not many. And I think it all starts with great conversation. That is great. And so then one of the the best questions there was, what are you working on right now? And can you share a few of the other great questions that often pop up when you're doing your Sherlock Holmesing of discourse? Yeah, you know, it depends on the kinds of conversation we're in, right? So if it's a personal type thing, I might say like, you know, what's something you've tried recently that's totally out of your comfort zone? Because again, it allows for an anecdote and a series of stories. They might bring in other context like how big is their family or, you know, where's the place they like to travel to? Again, all these little things individually might not mean the world, but put together, you really paint a picture of someone. And if you store that information, again, it could be in the contacts app notes section, it could be in a CRM. Over time, you're going to develop this unique profile that no one else has access to except you. So you know how to engage further later on. Another question I ask people all the time is, you know, if I see you again in a year from now, What dictates success to you in the next year? And there's a million ways you can go with that direction. I think the goal is when you get people to feel comfortable talking about themselves, again, not in an arrogant or celebratory sort of way, but in a way that helps them to navigate an anecdote or a series of things that they've been wanting to talk about but couldn't articulate, you really are helping to lead without being the leader. And I think that is very meaningful for not only results, but to build the foundations of a smart relationship. Oh, that's good. Thank you. Well, so so tell me, Scott, maybe could we do a demo here? You will ask me some questions and, and beat the Sherlock Holmes and we'll see what happens. Sure. Let's paint the scene. Because here's another thing just before we get started. Context isn't just the words out of your mouth. It's where we are, is if we're at an event, were we both invited by a mutual friend? If we're at a generalized networking event, is it a conference that brought us here? So there's, just to keep in mind, and maybe not for the demo purposes, but as people are listening to this, I want you to think about everything in an environment as context, because there's a very different situation that if you and I are randomly at a bar having a beer, and we've never met, and this is just a random Friday afternoon burning steam, versus we're at an exclusive invitation-only event with 15 people invited, and our mutual friend is the person that brought us both there, whole different level of conversation, right? And so it's just about looking at the whole board and not just the moment or the zone you're existing in. So with that being said, I kick off and I can introduce myself, you would introduce yourself, and you know I may ask a question like, you know, it sounds very interesting what you do. What made you get into that type of XYZ? And then you would respond. Oh, sure thing. Well, I'm just so fascinated about people and and what it is they find is really worked for them in terms of, you know, generating particular results. And I've just sort of always had a, an interest and enthusiasm in, in this sort of, you know, skill building stuff about, you know, leadership, success, influence, communication, problem solving, creativity, ever since I was like a teenager reading books about it in the library. Were you ever somebody who had a bad example or a a setback or a major setback of some kind where everything you thought you were doing right was actually the wrong way to do it? And that's what led you to want to learn best practices? Well, kind of. (laughs) You know, I'd say I was interested in the information and the power within it, you know, just because the possibilities opened up before me, even before I guess I had experienced some setbacks, but then afterwards, certainly, yeah, along the way. Uh, Have you learned about one particular leader or two particular leaders that you think are fundamentally like best of breed that you'd recommend to everybody? 
Oh, from like just a, a leadership perspective, just someone that whether it's a CEO or a politician or an inspirational person that you've read about their leadership style or way of you know looking at the world, and they that just was a fundamental game changer for you. It's funny as a child, uh, Tony Robbins was my role model, and I wanted to be just like him. <laughs> and so I, I just thought he had the coolest job that uh, there could be, and I wanted to be him. What's really cool about Tony Robbins? Out of curiosity, I, I don't know enough about him. Well, I guess what I liked is that he was just kind of so outrageously sort of goofy and perfectly himself, you know, and, and in some ways it's, that could really turn people off with all the F-bombs and, uh, and profanity. And it kind of turns me off at times. But in other ways, it's like, there's a guy who's just genuinely doing his thing. And, and in a way that was kind of liberating in a sense that, you know, I, I've got my own weirdnesses and eccentricities. And, and so... I could sort of express those in a, in a large space and find success like Tony did. And so there you go. See, in that short period of time, what have I learned about you? Professional development you really care about. You wanted to meet someone or learn about someone that made it okay for you to be the person you are and to form your own framework around what leadership meant to you and so on and so forth. And all these things start to add up, right? Not every conversation is going to end up in a situation where you're going to just immediately help someone, right? That's not always an action step. Not everybody needs help, right? But it could be the kind of thing where it's like, you know, if you could have a conversation with a leader, would you want to have a conversation with someone that is totally contrarian to you or someone that's exactly, you know, the way you think, but at a bigger level or a bigger stage? And if you were to say someone like a contrarian, my, my response would be, oh man, well, let me just think, you know, do you know XYZ or XYZ? You know, if he's game for it, he loves debating this kind of rubric or this kind of challenge. Now all of a sudden, I've engaged you in, well, what do you disagree with him about? No, what a great debate that would be. And you know that I'm connected, you know, so you get the point. There's a lot of variables and directions to go, but you're playing with a lot of information and you're moving your brain as quickly as you can to figure out where you can provide value. The key for that is, you know, at the end of the day, there's one mindset shift that you have to have. And this is the moment where I tell people you have to audit yourself. So if I went into a conversation with you like we just had, and I, in the first 30 seconds, said, oh, God, professional development, I want nothing to do with this guy, right? Then I would know that my mindset is that of a transactional networker, because my instinct is to say, this person's not valuable to me. And if people think that way, then they have to totally reverse course and break themselves and deconstruct themselves down, because they'll never be a true connector. Whereas in the way that I think, and other great connectors think as well, is I'm trying to find the different ways in which I can understand you to be of service to you. And I'm thinking, where's the value that I can provide? Resource, person, challenge, request, whatever, as you're speaking. And that's my initial thought, not, man, how am I going to figure out a way to get you to introduce me to Tony Robbins, right, if you said you knew him? So, so that's the whole thing. I think people need to understand who they are at their core and what they're trying to achieve. Great people, great conversations, great outcomes at scale long-term. Short-term gains, transactional value, totally a no-no. And that's interesting, that mindset shift audit, in some ways that kind of gets to the very core of a human being in terms of how generous versus selfish are they in their whole life. Yep. And there's a great quote, and I'm going to muck it right now, of course, because I'm saying off the top, but the to give selfishly is to give selflessly, right? It's the idea that habitual generosity is the cornerstone of what a connector strives to do, right? To always be of service, to always provide value. But it shouldn't be thought of as a tactic. 
This is a total overhaul of a framework of how you should live your life. And I think it's important people understand that, that it is the marketing hacks and the growth hacking and these various different pedestals that social media and vanity metrics have created that have put the the wool over our eyes to think that this is the stuff that we should be caring about. Let's talk about like power and money for just a minute here. If we if we're going to go to like the most successful elites in the world, okay, those people get the game. They understand that relationships are currency. Social capital is the only currency that matters long term. Why? Because somebody can reach out to one person one time in one phone call and do a billion dollar deal. A thousand people can reach out to that one person and never get a call back. That's the difference. Everything we talk about here should be the beginnings of you internalizing, auditing, thinking, but none of these should be, I'm going to do this exact thing five times a day because if I do it five times a day, my ROI will be XYZ and that's how I should reverse engineer my success. Certainly. Well, so I want to dig into that a bit. It talks about your whole life is shifting. So what would you recommend are some of the initial baby steps if someone has habituated selfishness and is primarily <laughs> thinking about their own wants and needs and desires from the first minute of waking up to the last minute of night, not just in conversation, but in, in life. you know, any number of things. So, <laughs> I mean, that's like a tall order. So, so how do you start chipping away at that, Scott? Well, it's, it's funny. First off, I say this is where guys like you and I have it made being family men, because we gave up selfishness if we're good dads <laughs> or husbands long ago. Um, uh-huh. You know, the second you change a diaper for the first time, life changes as you know it, right? Uh, you know, but- I saw a coupon <laughs> for $5 off diapers today, and I, I was excited by this. And I was like, the, something has shifted. <laughs> my, my how things change, right? But, yeah. but again, for the every man and woman in any state of life, in any level of profession, again, I start with what I said earlier. You got to begin with the audit and you can't lie to yourself. Listen, if you're a truly selfish individual and you just can't fundamentally break yourself out of that, I feel bad for you because you're missing out on a huge opportunity. And you can't gamify this because all you're going to do is cheat yourself and cheat reality. Number two, I would give yourself an additional audit to determine a couple of key things. The best connectors are. I have three fundamental traits. The first one is self-awareness. They are okay to assess themselves and figure out their strengths and weaknesses. They are okay to understand and can fundamentally figure out what people think of them in an honest and non-rosy glass colored way, right? So that's the first thing, self-awareness. How self-aware are you? Would others say you're self-aware? That, that's one key thing. The, the second trait is emotional intelligence. Are you empathetic? Do you actually care about other people? Can you allow yourself to care more about others or feel for their plights, big or small? Put yourself in their shoes, regardless of situation, regardless of level of severity, and regardless of your personal feelings towards whatever they deem their level of severity being. And then finally, number three is the idea of curiosity, right? You have to generally be curious. You have to be someone who really doesn't have to care about a subject matter to want to learn more about it or feel like if you're not an expert, you don't care. Again, there's going to be many people who can be very valuable to you and you to them along the way. But if you cut short because they want to talk about physics and you're a liberal arts grad, right? Well, you know, you're going to miss out on a lot of the context that could create mutual value for the long run if that relationship is to be. And so those are some of the key things you have to look at for yourself. When you determine you want to be someone who is a connector, you also, and this is where I will say, you have to be selfish in only one regard. There's only one way you should be selfish as a connector, and that is your time, because it is the one asset you cannot buy more of, and it's fleeting every day, right? 
And so if someone is going to take your time, you want to make sure your investment is going to be valuable. Again, not valuable in an ROI way, but valuable even in the exchange you're going to have, that it's not a one-sided selling fest, that someone is really understanding the value of that time and being specific. Or not just saying, oh, we should get together sometime and getting mad when you don't because they don't have an agenda of specificity. Because the one thing I've learned in my life, and I say this in the book, there's a saying that one of my mentors said to me early, you cannot cheat real time and relationships take real time, right? And so for every amount of real time you spend in a real relationship, that's less time you have for other relationships. So you are placing bets on the people you want to surround yourself with that you feel are going to help you to make your life amazing and you to help make their lives more amazing. If you misplace that trust or misplace that time or misplace that relationship building prowess, you could put yourself on the wrong path or you could find yourself meaning nothing to no one instead of something to someone. And that's really crucial to be methodical about protecting your time. Uh, a couple of key productivity hacks that we found from some of the top connectors to give some color to what I mean by that. There are many people, I'm sure you being included in this, that get hit up all the time. I'd love to take you for coffee. I'm assuming that that has been an ask somebody has made of you probably recently, right? That's right, yeah. So, you know, what a lot of the top connectors will do is they'll take these people that ask them and say, look, I don't have time right now, but I get people together once a month or once every couple of weeks that sort of all want to meet me for coffee and we all get together and have one big cup of coffee. So here you are taking one-on-one -on -one meetings that would take an hour to make it 10 on one meetings and it's a better experience. It's curated because the person can say yes or no to who's invited and you've just maximized your time, met everyone and learned more than you probably would have in a one-on-one -on -one introduction. Plus, on top of that, if you are the curator of that experience, you probably have a stronger relationship now with each of the original 10, because all of those 10 received exponentially more value than you had you been just one-on-one. -on -one. It's a more worldly perspective, less time, very clear, right? So that just gives an example of it doesn't mean you have to be less human or say no to everything necessarily, although no sometimes is the right answer, but it allows you to think about the blocks of time you have as maximizing efficiency and community building investment. Because again, you want to go incredibly deep and meaningful, but you want to do it in a way where you can find the right time for the right people and not lose that time. Right. And you talk about the art of selectivity in the book. And so yeah, I'd love to get your sense for, you know, what are some of the the guidelines you're using in terms of, of making determinations? Like, you know, this is a person that I really think it would make sense to to invest heavily in a good time there. Yep. First and foremost, I always want to tell people, you know, when we talk about these things like the art of selectivity, this is not the, said another way, the art of elitism snobbery, right? It's not meant to be, you know, you only want to be with these elite professionals or individuals. That's not it at all. It's the idea that you want to have a cross-section of people that share not only your, you know, business professional interests or industry, but your value system, Right the way that you spend your personal time. You know, it's again, community is not just meant to be some goal-oriented KPI like we've been talking about. It's how do you want to spend your time to create a meaningful life personally and professionally? And so, for example, in the book, we talked to Elliot Bisnow, who is the founder of Summit Series and uh, the owner of Powder Mountain in U Eden, Utah, which is a sort of a telluride for the 21st century concept. And he talks about this idea that, you know, he wants to not just be surrounded by entrepreneurs all the time or specific kinds of entrepreneurs in his industry, but rather health conscious, athletic, 
people that are big on travel and worldly conversation and share his ethics and moral and value systems. And so it's about creating these almost criteria sets for what do you want to be the average of in the circle you're in? And then really figuring out who that initial circle is. And again, taking the proper time. This is not a day-to-day exercise. This is a lifelong exercise of creating that small, intimate circle. Mind you, that small, intimate circle might eventually be dozens of people. But the goal of these spheres is to feel incredibly intimate, regardless of size, because the values, the moral systems, the cross-section of value that you've created is only bringing in other very similar, authentic, meaningful people that those in the sphere have brought into the fold. And that's the key for success in any any time you're trying to be selective with those you're building strong, meaningful relationships with. Well, and I'd also like your take on that. Is there a potential risk of having a, an, an echo chamber or folks who, who all agree with you and, and thus not giving yourself the, the mental challenge of, of sort of thinking and seeing as others do? I think that it's interesting, right? I believe that there is a time and place for any kind of relationship to be sort of segmented in different communities, different thinking. And so like, for example, I have a lot of friends who are political junkies, right? And I purposely surround myself with people that are on opposite ends of the spectrum in a big way, because when I want to have these more thoughtful debates, I don't want just some like Facebook commentary style argument. Oh, he sucks. He's terrible. He's great. He's not. But rather like, why? Can somebody actually articulate the why? And so surrounding yourself with people that you believe to be morally and values driven, but not necessarily share your specific vision of the world, that's the time and place for that kind of community. Whereas in certain ways, when you're talking, say, about business, I have a group of connector friends who I don't want them to be networky type thinking people because I wouldn't want that in my circle because to me that would go against every fiber in my body of my most core professional belief. So there's a time and place to figure out where is the place where you want to have fundamental agreement and where you want to allow for contrarians or total disagreement, but know the value system is aligned with your overall view of a human. You know what I mean? There are certain people you might fundamentally disagree with, but you love and trust, right? You're going to fundamentally disagree with them about politics or money or something like that, but it's not because they're crazy or whatever. It's just they have a different set of principles, but that are rooted in wholesome values that you can you can link to. I think it's important not to be in that echo chamber, but that's why I also think you should never allow yourself to just be in one community at any given time. I think the value of having multiple communities that collide and create sort of value where you can pick and choose different kinds of conversations or relationships or depth of relationships you want to have in different sort of groupings allows you to be a more well-rounded human being. Okay, cool. So you've got close friends you like and trust who love Hillary and who love Trump, and you enjoy the enlightenment that could come about when you, you engage in such discussions. It's the idea of respecting people and respecting the place by which their position comes because it can be defended or discussed in a material and mature manner. And that is the bond, right? The bond is You might want to harden your position by being able to defend against someone else's, or you might want to be able to open your eyes to a different perspective. I think that right now in this country, if there was more community building around communities of dissenters that were thoughtful dissenters, we'd probably not have such a red, blue, or whatever the specific subject matter or or issue is, be so black and white. I think a connector's job, and going back to the context conversations or ways in which they run their relationships, is to always play in the gray. 
because that's where you can form relationships out of what would be assumed on the surface level as an adversary. Because the adversaries are the people that don't go beyond surface level and stop there. But the most meaningful relationships uh, you know, might be nine out of 10 points connected, but one point disconnected. But those nine out of 10 allow you to listen and thoughtfully respond to the one you don't. Oh, I love it. Thank you. I also want to make sure we could quickly touch upon your pro tips for introducing yourself well. So, you know, the number one way, and I know this is going to sound sort of counterintuitive, because obviously, look, you have to be able to say who you are, what you do, and so forth. But the number one way that I enjoy people finding out who I am and what I do is by other people telling them the results we've driven or their perspective on what I do. Most times when I go to, say, an event or meet with a group, I very rarely will go to a large group setting without a very core group of my influential sphere. And again, not influential in the sense of they're big name people, but influential in my world, right? People that I deeply trust and care about, my anchors in life and business. And more times than not, they will go ahead and actually introduce me in a group that I wouldn't know, which immediately lends credibility. We talk about this in the book is called the power of association. You know, the people, you know, move trust through them to the person that you're connected to uh, and infinitely create stickier glue and a more immediacy to a bond than, you know, if you were introducing yourself or asked to introduce yourself. So that's, that's more times than not what I like to do because it doesn't come off as I'm marketing to you. It doesn't come off as I'm trying to be uh, ego-driven or pat myself on the back or shoulder, but rather that others feel compelled enough that you and I should be connected and they've gone the extra step to give the bona fides in whatever way and lens they see fit, which also lends to conversation as a natural next step is, oh, tell me more about that. Instead of you talking about yourself, you're being asked, and that starts the conversation. So that's my number one way I think that you should always look at it. Don't just try to introduce yourself. Look for others that can really play the heart card rather than the bona fide CV LinkedIn profile card. Okay, great. Thank you. Well, tell me, Scott, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and then hear about some of your favorite things? I think what's most important to me and why we wrote the book you know, at the end of the day is we really do believe that relationships are the cornerstone and the fundamental purpose for your professional and personal lives. And so many people are squandering that opportunity every day. And frankly, it's not like it's these are in many cases, very smart people who, if asked, do you want to be approached this way? Would you like to be talked to in this way as a networking relationship? They would say no, yet they're guilty of doing the same stuff. That's the irony of today. This laziness, social media-esque response mechanism or series of frameworks that we've sort of been put into by the powers that be has really taken a step back for human touch. And so my message today is, you know, whether you buy the book or not, I, I hope you find value in it and the connectors that were thoughtful enough to share their time and sort of tradecraft and secrets of what they do. You know, it's just to take a step back and realize when you look around you, are you happy with the relationships you have? Do you feel you could have better, more meaningful ones? And for the people that you believe are your most trusted relationships, do you really know them at all beyond what everyone else knows about them? If you can answer those questions in an honest way, I think you'll surprise yourself more times than not. Great. Thank you. So now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? I have a quote from my uh, grandmother who passed uh, you know, a number of years ago, but she used to say, don't dream to live, live to dream. And, you know, it sounds funny. I didn't, I didn't really understand at the time when she told me like middle school or high school, whatever it was. But the idea that you should live a life of wonder and excitement and 
wake up every day to be thrilled about what's possible rather than what you have to do and be sort of a cog in the machine, I think says a lot. The other one I sort of mentioned earlier, which is real relationships take real time and you can't cheat real time. I think that if you really understand what that means, you're going to be better for it. Okay, cool. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I think that right now, while I'm not going to cite a specific study, because there's a number of them going on right now, I would encourage people to take a look at a lot of the studies around social media's effect on the human body and the human psyche. I think that these kinds of studies are scary and startling. Even the founders, like Sean Parker talking about the dopamine effect with social media and what that's doing to people, or especially for dads and moms out there to talk about the effect of social media on their children, technology on their children. I think all this sort of ties very deeply to what we're talking about today around building relationships because we're letting technology be the deciding factor, be the driver instead of us driving the technology. We're letting technology amplify the wrong things instead of the humanity being amplified. Uh, And I think it's time we understand what the effects of these various platforms are. Um, So I would encourage people to really do their homework on, you know, all of that, whether you're a parent or not, looking at it personally or professionally. There's a lot of really unique studies out there right now about the effect on the brain, uh, social anxiety, depression, all kinds of things that are very important for you to understand. All right. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Ooh, uh, anything by Adam Grant. He's just an amazing human being. Give and take, originals, option B. These are all amazing books, and uh, he's just solid. I hate to be on the bandwagon with millions of other fans, but I really do think that everything Tim Ferriss does is gold. All right. And how about a favorite tool, stuff that helps you be awesome at your job? Okay, so I run my entire company off my iPhone. Even though we have nearly 100 people in our headcount and everything else, I rarely go to the office. When I meet with people, it's over coffee or video chats and so forth. But it's the idea that if you really think through how you use your phone every day, there are so many ways to cheat productivity time or to develop instrumental systems that can scale your human brain to allow you to do the things we've talked about today, like simple as writing notes in your contacts notes section is what I do when I meet people, three to five bullets that was most compelling or very new information. So next time I meet them, I've got my cheat sheet of things that are valuable and important to them. Let's me continue the conversation and have key things to, to remember. Just little ways to go all in on your phone, but not let it control you, but you control it. I think is uh, is something that I'm a big proponent of. Giving yourself the freedom to do what you will in your surroundings, your environments, and so forth, but use the tools you use every day smartly and effectively to do the things you love. All right, thank you. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that helps you flourish at work? I am really big on letting my team actually make decisions, explain their decisions to me, and stand by them. I offer advice, not mandates. And so when big decisions are made, I rule by consensus, not, it's not a full democracy like it isn't in any business, but I don't rule as a dictator, so to speak. My partner and I are very methodical about groupthink and letting smart people do smart jobs, but they have to be able to defend their position and they have to be able to take criticism and defend the points that they put out there to you know, the idea that if I came and attacked you point for point, you could stand your own. So I think the exercise in critical thinking on a regular basis is one that I believe has fundamentally helped us to improve company culture, the business as a whole, revenue, and the customer experience for sure. All right. Thank you. 
And is there a particular nugget you share that seems to really connect, resonate, get Kindle book highlighted, retweeted, and heads nodding <laughs> when you say it? I think that the most important thing I sort of sum up this entire sort of interview and what we've been talking about for the last hour is social capital is the new currency. It's not Bitcoin or Ethereum or, you know, all those things that are coming out now. It's social capital. And it's the idea that when you have the right walled off access to people that are valuable and find value in your company and those that you've surrounded them with, it's an invaluable community that cannot be replicated and you can't buy it. And I think that more people need to invest in creating these sort of very tight knit communities. And when I say that, I don't mean necessarily a membership group or something like that. I mean, literally mastermind group or a group of people that enjoy each other's company, go out for drinks once a month, whatever it is, but creating the value that enables you and those you surround yourself with to have direct and indirect access to an exponential number of more people because the people in the circle all trust one another so implicitly is literally, in my opinion, the most valuable currency you will ever have. No one will ever beat it, and it'll be the reason you're successful. Awesome. Thank you. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where'd you point them? Yeah. For daily communication, you can ping my uh, partner and I on uh, Twitter. His is at Ryan Paw, uh, his uh, at R-Y-A-N-P-A-U-G-H, and mine is at Scott Gerber, S-C-O-T-T-G-E-R-B-E-R. And you can definitely check out the book at superconnectorbook.com or pick it up uh, wherever books are sold. Okay. And you have a final a parting, a call to action or challenge for those seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Don't treat it like a job. As someone who has never worked for someone else since I went into the professional world, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've never been a nine to fiver, but I've watched really impressive people meet me and really impressive people work for me that really put in the extra work on two key things. One, was allowing themselves to listen and be empathetic, to understand, take in, and adjust as a result of those two things. And the second is the idea that they were responsive and timely and understood the investment of time that my partner and I were making in them and that every moment that they were given was to be valued. Especially as a family guy, sort of going back full circle to where we started, I wanna watch my kids grow up and be there. And if you can tell me in a business meeting something in five minutes versus 50 and the same outcome as a result, and I trust you as the steward of the information and action step, go at it. Take the five minutes, not the 50. Let me go watch my kids play baseball. So understanding that putting the effort in in community building and responsiveness and empathy, I think, are things that anyone from an entrepreneur to someone who uh, works for others in a day-to-day job I think that is the difference maker. Beautiful. Well, Scott, thank you so much for for taking this time and sharing this goodness. I hope that you sell many, many copies of Super Connectors and that it is empowering and enriching to folks in, in all the right ways. Thanks so much for the time. I really dug Scott's perspective associated with if you are in the habit of being selfish and it's okay to admit that we all are at times and, and maybe it's sort of stronger for some than others and, and more frequent or you've just sort of gotten in a, in a selfish groove or rut. It, it happens to the best of us at times. I love that tip about restoring the curiosity. That's come up a few times from a guest and, and that's a, a great means by which you can naturally get the same goodness that causes you to binge on Netflix to become fascinated by someone else and and pull you out of yourself so that not only are you a better connector, 
uh, that are better human being, and you you build great relationships, which is everybody wins when you've got that going on. So appreciation to Scott for sharing that and other tidbits. And again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F263. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe to hear our next episodes. Uh, Monday is President's Day or Washington's birthday, so I'll have a quick uh, reflection on something a special topic there, as I like to do on the pseudo, you know, semi kind of holidays for worker folk. And then Wednesday, we're talking to Ron Carucci, who has some fascinating research associated with what makes executives rise to become executives and fall in terms of not delivering upon the high hopes that were placed upon their shoulders. So I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.